Loved, cherished, comforted. Welcome to the podcast ministry of Our Resolute Hope, where you will find grace, not just a concept or a doctrine of grace, but a person, a person whose name is Jesus, a person who brings hope, a determined, resolute hope that can sustain you and empower you to live courageously in this fallen world. Join us now as we learn more about Jesus, our Savior, our Lord, and our life. Dear ones, thanks again for joining us on this episode of the Our Resolute Hope podcast. John Russin here, Frank Friedman on the other end. How are you, my friend? Oh, it's a beautiful day in South Louisiana. We're into our beautiful six months of weather that we pay dearly for the rest of the time. Six months. <laughs> I lived there a lot of years, my friend. I would not say six months. Anytime you drop sweat and swat a mosquito in January, it's, <laughs> it's not an ideal place to live. Anyway, oh. my friends, enough climate talk. If you've just joined us, Frank and I are discussing our way through a very meddlesome topic. It's forgiving others. And Frank, you might recall by this recap that over the past five or six weeks, we've talked about the need for forgiveness. We've talked about some verses that have caused some confusion around forgiveness. We've talked about what it means that God forgave us and how that's the standard for how we are to forgive others, just as God in Christ has already forgiven us. And Frank, we ended last time with a grammar lesson on a command from Ephesians 4.32, forgive one another. And my friend, as I began to pray through and prep for this week, the Spirit drew my attention to that word forgive. You brought out last time that the word is not a fiemi to release a debt, but it's charizomai, which means to grace someone, to give them what they don't deserve. And so because you and I are old and we have inquiring minds, and inquiring minds want to know, I, of course, wondered why the word change. Ephemi is used almost 150 times in the New Testament. Of course, the word geek that I am, I checked. And as I looked at how it's used, Frank, Ephemi sort of comes across as a word of function, almost like a procedural word. Hmm. Uh, so like you can release a debt but you might still be mad about it and still not embrace your former debtor. So to me, a theme doesn't describe a change of heart, a change of attitude. Hmm. But that's where charizomai comes in because it describes a totally changed attitude toward your offender. One that says, hey, bud, I do more than just release this debt. I choose to see you as if you never owed me anything. Frank, I think that's why the Spirit used this word instead of a fiamy, because it's so foundational for restoring relationships between people, don't you think? Oh, John, that is a fascinating insight. You know, to be honest with you, my goodness, I first discovered in my studies in Ephesians over 40 years ago, the word choice of the Holy Spirit, charizomai instead of ephemi. But for 40 years, I've continued to teach that because it is a, a startling reality. Grace people, 
But I've never thought of the idea of the difference in terms of the passion, if you will, of the word choice. And as soon as you said what you said, boy, my spirit just was knit to it, John. A fee does function almost like a legal term. You go to a courtroom and you would go before a judge and the judge would say, do you release this debt? Yes, I release the debt. Okay, debt or you're released from the debt. All right, let's tear up the debt. Okay, you both go your own way. There's not even the thought of relationship. It's just legal. And charisma, of course, that's huge. Because if there's one thing the grace of God does to every single one of us, John, is it melts our hearts. Oh, yes. The fact that the perfect, holy, creator God of the universe didn't just pronounce us forgiven, but came as one of us to go to the cross and demonstrate his love. You know, that's the supreme thing behind the cross, I think. People look at the cross, John, as forgiveness, which of course it is, but supremely it's the manifestation of love. For God so loved that he gave his son. And so that's a huge observation. Charizomai, it should be a word, a decision, a choice made out of love. Yeah. Love received and now love freely given to another that doesn't deserve it just like we didn't. Huge observation. Thank you. You know, my friend, we have often defined the word love as doing the most constructive and redemptive and restorative and honoring thing for someone that we possibly can do. And so when you talked about charisma being rooted in love, my mind jumped to, frankly, it jumped to Psalm 19. Because when I'm thinking about why God in his perfect love for us would command us to forgive our offenders when that very well could be the most difficult thing we could ever do. Mm. Why would his love command us to do it? So I'm thinking now of Psalm 19 and I'm struggling to quote it, but it goes something like this. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure making wise the simple. So when we choose to obey what Father tells us to do, it's because doing it is the most loving, constructive, <clears throat> redempting thing we can do for ourselves. And mm -hmm. when we do, when we walk in obedience, Scripture says it revives our soul. We get encouraged. Mm -hmm. We get a brand new perspective on things. The testimony of the Lord is sure. It makes wise a simple. Frank, when we walk in what he tells us to do, our eyes are opened. Our understanding is expanded so mm. that we see things we've never seen before. We mm -hmm. can now rejoice as we've never seen simply because we chose to walk in obedience to what our father mm. told us, even though as you and I both know, forgiving others is one of the deepest, darkest valleys of the shadow of death some of us can ever imagine walking through. Forgiving those who wound us, Frank, is really the most loving thing we can ever do for ourselves, isn't it? That's exactly right, John. We talked last time about the idea of not letting the sun go down on our anger, 
that it can become a stronghold in our lives, give way to a root of bitterness. And then the bitterness is a poison. The poison infects our entire being. And this is the one, probably the main truth I have to try to communicate people when they're in my office and they've had something terrible happen to them, is to convince them that forgiveness, though it's not only a command and therefore something that's not an elective course, but it's the very best thing for them is to release their offender so that their offender doesn't have that control over their lives and the offense can't do the damage to their lives for the rest of their life. They can be set free from it. You know, John, these people that say, how can I forgive them when they did what they did? Well, you'll be locked in that bondage for the rest of your life. And I actually had a guy once who told me, based on a passage of scripture in Luke, that he would only forgive them if they repented. And therefore, he chose to not forgive. And this is one of the angriest men I ever ran across. And his failure, John, was to understand the whole counsel of God. And we forgive immediately. And we forgive whether there's repentance or not. Restoration is a whole nother story. And that can be based on repentance. I mean, God himself doesn't restore people who don't repent. So that's our model. So he was confused, but the confusion led to a huge bondage. And no matter how much I tried to convince him that forgiveness would be a benefit to him, he refused to do so. And I really believe he was using a verse to justify his vengeance. Yeah, well, when you described him as a very angry man, you're seeing the fruit of what happens when we choose not to forgive. Last week, we began by asking a question. Why do we personally need to forgive? Why is this command given to us? And we looked at one reason. It's for our own sake of personal holiness, to keep us from falling into sin, maintain an intimate walk with God. Well, this fellow was doing exactly the opposite, letting mm. his anger drive a wedge between him and others and between him and his father, because he wouldn't mm. listen to reason from the spirit. So I'd like to use that, Frank, as a starting point for today when we consider another reason why we are to forgive those who wound us. And this seems like an odd one, but it's because of our own physical and emotional and mental health. It seems odd, I say that, Frank, because why would God really care about our emotional and mental health? Is it really that important to him? So I'll kick that one to you. <laughs> Absolutely. He wants to bring life, John, not only to our spirit, but to our soul and to our body. He ministers to the total man because it's only the total man that can truly manifest who he is to the world as he lives in union with us and through us. Uh, you can imagine a person with a, a perfect spirit but a bitter soul. That's going to represent a gross misconception of who God is. So, of course, he wants to minister to the whole man. Our emotional 
well-being is very, very important to God. And we need to stress this, John, because there are a lot of people out there who make this fallacious statement. It's only emotions. Don't worry about it. It's only emotions. Just forget about them. I don't buy that for a minute, John, and I know you don't either. Emotions are really a God-given indicator of where we are in our walk in this world. They kind of function like the warning lights on a car. And, you know, when the gas tank is full and the alternator is charging at 14 and the oil pressure is at 45 or whatever, everything's good. It's wonderful. When the alternator light goes out or the check engine light comes on, uh-oh, something's wrong. And here's the key, John. We don't let those emotions control us. That'd be like driving 70 miles an hour down the interstate. And as soon as the check engine comes on, we slam on our brakes and come to a stop. That'd be really stupid. It's going to cause a major crash. We don't do that. We don't let our emotions control us any more than we let a check engine light control our driving. But neither do we reach up under the dash and disconnect that light and pretend it never came on. That's going to cause a major damage to your engine later. We don't ignore our emotions. We don't say they don't matter. They do matter. That check engine light is alerting us to something that is wrong. And so what we do is we acknowledge when those emotional warning lights go off. We get off the road as quick as we can. We open up the hood, look inside and say, all right, what's causing this? And a lot of the times, John, it's a faulty belief system or a faulty practice somewhere that is then causing the unrest in our soul. And we have to fix the problem. The emotions aren't the problem. They're alerting us to the fact that there is a problem. So, of course, God's very interested in our well-being. Earlier, we made reference, Frank, to Psalm 23 by talking about walking through the valley of the shadow of death. I find it interesting that in that same psalm, Father promises to restore our souls, almost as Mm -hmm. if the journey through these dark valleys restores our mind, restores our emotion, restores our will. It sort of nudges us back into balance so that we think more like the way God does, choose more the way God would choose, and feel about things the way God would feel. And so this restoration that you're talking about is really a fruit of how we handle the wounds that come into our lives. Because Mm -hmm. no matter how we want it to be, Frank, no matter what we think, how hard we might try, We can't ignore the wounds. We can't stuff the anger. We can't disconnect the wire under the dashboard. Mm -hmm. We might try to, but somewhere, someplace down the road, the pain from that wound is going to come out. Mm -hmm. Either in an explosion of anger, someplace where it's safe, or in an incredibly deep bout of depression, but somewhere that pain will come out because we're just not created to stuff it. God made us to deal with it, didn't he? Mm-hmm. Yeah, John, I can speak from real experience in that because that's basically what I did. I just stuffed things way, way down. 
And one of the things that people lie about, there's so many lies told about forgiveness, is that time will heal you. No, I, I call error on that. I call BS. That is a lie. Time doesn't heal anything. All it did was push it aside, but it's still there and it's still festering. One of the ways that I've taught this issue, John, is that I say when we get hurt, we get angry. And anger, when it's not dealt with, will remind you of the hurt, which in turn will keep you reminded and living in an angry state. So it's like throttling up an engine. And the term I would use is a pressure cooker. And John, a lot of people out there, I hope, will remember pressure cookers. I've heard they're making them again, by the way. Yeah, but they're not as dangerous as they used to be. (laughs) There you go. A pressure cooker was a heavy pot that had threads on it. And instead of just putting the lid on, you threaded it on so that it couldn't come off. Well, when you would cook something, the thesis was that's going to build up so much pressure in the pot that you could cook through the meat and everything else very quickly and very thoroughly. Well, you can imagine pressure inside a pot How are you going to get rid of that pressure? So on the top of the lid, they had a little button and you would take a spoon and push that button and let the steam out. And John, that's what happens to people who don't forgive. They push it way down, but it's still there. And deep inside your gut, deep inside your soul, you have become a pressure cooker. And it's only a matter of time until somebody touches that button and wham, out it comes. And the sad thing that I've observed, John, is we don't let that button get pushed at work in front of 500 people. Oh, no, the risk is too high. That's right. We don't let it get pushed at church. Usually the place we let the button get pushed is at home where it's safe for us. But unfortunately... Uh, We make home not safe for anybody else. We end up beating up the ones we love the most and don't want to beat up at all, but it ends up happening. You know, Frank, when you would talk about this years ago, you used the phrase to describe this type of person, ulcer givers. (laughs) (laughs) And you are so right. How many times have we seen Indeed, my friend, how many times have we individually done this? Just get so worked up that you just want to choke, hit, smash, break. I get it. But Mm -hmm. I realize also that when you finally do let off the pressure, it's best that nobody's around Mm -hmm. because it usually is not very pretty. And your comment, Frank, about where to let the button loose, where to let the pressure out. Gosh, you don't do it at church. (laughs) <laughs> oh, gosh, no. Get an awful reputation. Can't do it at work. You lose your job. But the home folks, the wife, mm-hmm. the children, your close friends, your close friends will leave you, but your wife and your children, they're kind of stuck with you. And mm-hmm. so ulcer givers, mm-hmm. what a nightmare. But you know, Frank, that's not the only way we handle this. Some people, you describe them as ulcer givers. Getters. <laughs> they they take all this pressure and all this rejection and all the pain and suffering that they can't express and they can't forgive, and they turn it inward, Frank, into mm-hmm. depression. And you have described this so commonly, so well over the years. Tell us how this works, the other side of this coin. 
I think the first thing we have to do is talk about depression in its general sense and do that by talking about something called diabetes. When you talk about diabetes, there's two separate kinds. There's a type one where your body just doesn't produce the insulin. That's not your fault. There is, however, a type two diabetes where you didn't exercise, you didn't eat right, and your body finally quits on you, and that's your fault. It's the same way with depression. There are some people who are just born where their brain doesn't produce those feel-good hormones, the serotonin, things like that, the dopamines, all that kind of thing. And we call those people clinically depressed. It's not their fault. And we have to treat that. But there is another type of depression that a lot of people don't think about, and it runs just like type 2 diabetes. When you become hurt, and then instead of forgiving, you nurse that hurt, you nurse that wound, and you replay it over and over in your mind, and you turn that person from a human being into a monster. And you kind of do that because, you know, you don't forgive monsters. That justifies your unforgiveness. Oh, that's right. And over and over and over again in your mind, they may have hurt you one time, but you're putting it in your mind 50 times a day. And so what happens is you begin to live in your anger and then you end up with a type two depression, if you will, where you can't run around beating people up. You turn the anger inward and have yourself for lunch and you get into depression. And I would define this kind of depression as a depression that's really anger rooted and you're living in bitterness. You don't have any joy, no peace. And sad to say, John, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. You kind of vow that you're going to protect yourself, never get hurt again. And guess what? Nobody wants to be around you. And it's a really sad deal. Ulcer getters and ulcer givers. And it all stems from failing to forgive, either through ignorance of what forgiveness is or willful choice. You know, my friend, you have opened up about 16 different paths of conversation, and I'm looking <laughs> at my clock, and we're almost 23 minutes in, so we're going to have to wrap this up and try to pick up the pieces next time. But as we do, I want to bring one last point to bear and have you comment on this, and then we'll wrap up. When the world sees angry people, we generally do two things. We prescribe medications, try to calm them down. Send them to anger management classes. In fact, it was a funny movie some years ago. Oh, yes, you know? I remember. So we do that. The church, different tack. They treat the symptoms of, they say, well, don't get angry. Anger is a sin. Mm -hmm. So many believers wind up stuffing it. I'm saying all these things because I want to use these as a launching board for our conversation next time. But the real treatment, Frank, the only solution is forgiveness for all of this that we've been talking about. So go ahead and wrap us up and then we'll be done. Circling back to where we started earlier, forgiveness is for you. It releases you from the offense that was done to you so that it doesn't identify you any longer. You now refuse to be a victim. You receive the wound, you bring it to God, you forgive your offender that releases you from the oppression of your offender. You take away from them 
the ability to make you a victim any longer. And you choose to live in your true identity as a child of God who has forgiven, just like our Lord Jesus has forgiven. And that means you're walking the same path that he walked and living free of those wounds. The great danger, John, I think we hinted at it today. If you live as a victim, it's only a matter of time until you become a victimizer, either through not allowing people to love you and letting them close enough to love you, or you, in fact, just failing to love other people who are in your path and need to be loved. And John, I played both of those roles very yes. well for so, a many number of years. Yeah. Yeah, and I don't so want to play I. those roles any longer. Too many years. I, I'm no longer a victim and I'm working on being a, not being a victimizer. <laughs> well said, my friend. Well, friends, thank you for joining us today on this episode of the Our Resolute Hope podcast. And we trust that this topic has resonated with you. I know it has with Frank and me. If you've been blessed by this discussion on forgiving others, we encourage you to visit our website, OurResoluteHope.com, and uh, support the podcast. You can click on the donate button there at the top of the page on the right. And while you're there, sit down for a while, relax, kick off your shoes. There are lots of resources there, all centered on the incredible truth of Jesus Christ as your very life, the power, all the power you need to forgive those who have offended you. While you're there, pop us an email, click contact, sign up for our newsletter, let us know you're there, and we'll be glad to get back to you when you reach out to us. You can follow us on all of our social media platforms. You'll find us on Facebook, on Instagram, and our own YouTube channel. And we always remind you that we have a hope. No matter how grim the valley is, no matter how dark it seems, we have a hope as an anchor for our souls. And this hope is a person, Jesus Christ. So today and always, choose hope and choose Jesus. Thanks for listening. We trust that you've seen Jesus today. And you know that no matter what you're facing, he offers you himself, his own life. He wants to live his life with you, in you, and through you as you trust him and walk by faith in this troubled world. You've been listening to Our Resolute Hope Podcast. For more information, find us online at OurResoluteHope.com and check out our social media channels under the name Our Resolute Hope.